Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello ladies and gentlemen, this episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like Tech Leader's favourite off-the-shelf service, providing high-quality, high-performing teams off-that-shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Lab's Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to talk to a tech leader that initially didn't want to be one. A great success story and an inspiring one. So let's not delay and welcome our guest, Maxim. Welcome to CTO Confessions, Maxim. Welcome on board. Thank you very much, TC. It's an honor to be here. Uh, I'm great. I'm great and super happy. Looking forward to our chat. How are you? Brilliant. Very good. I've got my curiosity brain centers working, so I'm going to be really kind of uh, trying to kind of dig out those kind of gems of knowledge that you have as a tech leader. So, so, So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do and who do you work for, sir? So I'm Maxim, Maxim Shipka. I'm currently the CTO at Vortexa. Um, if I were to describe myself, I'm um, um, I'm a technical I'm a technologist for the last 31 years. Um, I'm a software engineer for the last 23, 24. I, I want to say a manager for 19 and a CTO for the last nine years. Wow. Uh, I have been around some really cool projects uh, and had the pleasure of working with extraordinary people, the ones that you really want to have on this podcast. Brilliant. Excellent. That's good. I mean, that's perfect. So in terms of your journey to where you got to, okay, so let's go, to, let's go back in a time machine to when this all kind of started. What, what kind of, what was the general journey to this point? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I was born in Ukraine um, and uh, it was a part of Soviet Union at the time. And at the time, uh, the, the entertainment you have is the, the entertainment you make for yourself. And that's how my interest in computers started. Uh, I soldered together my very first computer. Um, and oh, wow. I, and I, I'm, I'm super grateful to my uh, dad for, for putting me on the right path and for having the right books around the house as well. Um, I graduated from Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology and uh, ended up working at Kaspersky and Message Labs, and then... Kaspersky again, and uh, uh, a couple of fintechs, um, a couple of security companies, and now I'm at Vortexa, which is the most, the most amazing journey uh, of my life. And as I say, you know, during my career, I've been very fortunate to have had fantastic mentors and uh, to have worked with absolutely amazing people. Wow, that's great. I, I, I totally agree. Um, having mentors and kind of people to kind of guide you along, and also encourage you. I mean, so in terms of aspiring leaders out there, uh, hopefully we've got lots of those listening to this podcast. Um, what would be the advice that you'd give them? That's a that's a really good question. So it's quite interesting, but I never wanted to be a manager. I started as a techie. I got driven. I loved digging deep into the technological problems. Uh, for example, um, when we were working on the very first antivirus for Microsoft Exchange server in the world, um, a lot of that product had to be reverse engineered just to understand how to implement an, an antivirus there. Mm. And I absolutely loved that. 
Uh, and it's that sort of problems that drove me. And then one day, uh, when I uh, when I when I switched to management, uh, the first time I absolutely hated it. And I'm hugely grateful to to, to my mentors for persevering, for right. working with me, for helping me. So my advice to uh, to the techies, to the future leaders of this world, is don't give up. Don't give up. Give it a try. The, the, these are different problems, technical problems and people problems, uh, technical problems, technological pro problems, product problems, company problems. They are very different problems, and yet they're amazingly interesting to solve in their own right. Give it a try, see how it goes for you, and then make a conscious decision to do what you truly love. Wow, I love that. Yes, I think... Um... Yeah, I mean, looking at the various tech leaders that we've had on CTO Confessions, they have very varied journeys. Um, and, uh, you know, they kind of, I guess they've got lots of stumbling blocks, you know, and uh, and, and getting over them. And I guess um, also having a clear idea of where you want to be. I mean, did you have a, a clear idea? You, you kind of mentioned that you didn't want to particularly be a tech leader, but you ended up being it. That's it. That's it. That's... Uh... Uh, when I joined back in the days, uh, when I joined Message Labs, um, I joined as a senior software engineer, and I was still one of those people who absolutely loves to get into the state of flow, which would be very familiar to many techies. Get in the state of flow, get disconnected from the rest of the world, live in the world of code, and come out on the other side with some amazing piece of engineering that uh, that can do something that the business needs. Uh, I was very truly in that world. At the same time. I'm the sort of person that quite often sees the uh, sort of um, suboptimal parts of this world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and those suboptimal parts, they live not only in code, but they live also in the world around you. They live in how, how teams around you work, right? And uh, the, the um, CTO of Message Labs at the time uh, he thought, well, you know, why don't I, uh, I ask Maxim to step up and to run a team? And that's how he became um, technical architect slash development manager. And this slash development manager drove me nuts. <laughs> but again, you know, Ian Dunlop, if Ian Dunlop listens to this, huge thanks to Ian for persevering, for teaching me uh, that there's the other side of the of the coin to be enjoyed big time. It's the ability to multiply the number of hours in the day. It's the ability to see a group of absolutely different people getting together and performing as a team and, and going above and beyond. Um, and then coupling that with a bigger picture of, of looking forward towards the upcoming technologies that can solve the modern problems, towards the products that, uh, that, are, uh, that, that can be launched to satisfy the customer needs, and towards overall company success, I became more and more excited about these other types of challenges. They are not more interesting, they're not less interesting, they're different challenges. And because I intricately love challenges and love difficult problems, that's what drove me to go further and further and further. Brilliant, I love it. You, you found the dream by just kind of chasing your kind of short-term dreams, you know? Uh, true, true, very, very true, yeah. So coming on to the company that you work for, I mean, it's a really interesting company, Vortexa. Tell us a little bit about that. Vortexa. So, uh, yes, yeah, so Vortexa is a company that um, creates visibility into the very opaque world of uh, seaborne energy trading. Um, 
And we do that uh, not by uh, using humans, but we use a lot of machine learning. I'm not particularly fond, to be honest with you, of, of the terminology, modern terminology of AI and ML, but I'll use machine learning because that's what everybody will understand. The way I like to present it is we, we use math very complex, very interesting mathematics, together with huge processing power and real-time incoming data feeds to create real-time visibility into what's happening in the world of energy trading. Right. And we do that at very different levels uh, there, which is, which is something that our customers really uh, enjoy. To, 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 give you, to give you sort of an idea, the industry prior to Vortex and, uh, and our competition prior to that, the industry was very, very opaque and uh, it was completely impossible to uh, know um, which tanker carries what, where, when it's going to arrive there, what's on board of that tanker, because the industry also works in a very sort of secretive way. Everybody bets, um, every, every trader wants to win, right? Yes. Uh, which is understandable. Um, hands a lot of information in the world, a lot of information about what's happening in energy trading uh, is not uh, immediately available. Uh, and we solve that problem. We create real-time visibility into the world of um, uh, seaborne energy trading. Wow. And so in terms of what that looks like, I've got this kind of picture of of commodities moving around the world, you know, where they're pulled up, where they're banked. I mean, what does that look like when, when, when a customer of yours looks at the, at the screen? Yeah, so so we have a software as a service application. We have several different ways for the customers to access our data, uh, but the main one is software as a service application, which is uh, which is a platform where the customers log in, and then can they can slice and dice the information in any way, uh, shape, or form they like in a very um, sort of uh, in a very tiny way. They can ask very difficult questions that nobody in the world is able to answer and get the responses within two hundred milliseconds uh, on average. And um, the way it looks is the way the way the company works is we get a lot of external data feeds. Uh, we get data feeds from satellites. Uh, uh, in fact, our fastest and biggest data feed. And only five years ago, by the way, that didn't exist. Wow. Nowadays, there are three different constellations with 147 uh, different satellites which are sending us um, the, the what's called AIS data, automated identification system data, and that data contains some information which when coupled with some other external information that comes at a slower rate to us um, enables our machine learning models to to reveal what's on board of different tankers to reveal where they're heading to reveal when they're gonna uh, get there to, to uh, and to also create a high level set of aggregate flows. For example, answering questions like how much diesel is going to arrive into the port of New York in a month time. Right. For example, uh, as well as quite a few other very difficult problems. Um, and as I said, only five years ago, none of this would be possible. The company was founded, in fact, um, in, in 2015. And um, we've grown since then immensely. We are currently doubling our headcount year on year. We have just announced our Series B funding, the successful closure of Series B funding. Wow. Um, and, and we plan to grow even more this year. That's excellent. I mean, it's success. What I find fascinating, again, um, 
is, um, I mean, effectively you're selling information, you know, uh, you're kind of collecting, aggregating and, and, and providing it. Um, and what was coming up for me was that it's worth its weight in gold, but actually it doesn't weigh anything. It's just very valuable information, you know? Um, and so, I can, I can imagine the kind of old-fashioned commodity trading, and you fa- you're kind of disrupting the way in which this kind of this trade is working. I guess you know because because these these things have lags. I mean, like you know uh, you know the big shipping containers don't have um, these containers don't these ships don't have uh, a kind of like a small time uh, span. They kind of take a long time to kind of cross oceans and what have you. Um, so I mean, what what brought about this kind of need? Where was the kind of ask? to create this technology? So we have a great founder, our founder, Fabio Kuhn. He's, uh, he he's used to be ex-VP uh, commodity trader, and he experienced all these problems firsthand, right? He, he, um, he tried to solve uh, those problems within BP, but obviously BP's focus and BP's positioning on the market is, is different. So he strongly felt that we needed to establish an independent company um, that could come across as an independent company, that could get hold of the data feeds that no affiliated companies could get hold of, right? Uh, but you know, even, even then, those data fees, they only cover about 30% of what's happening in the world. Right. So Fabio had the foresight that, that the only way to satisfy and to, to sort of create visibility into this market is uh, by using machine learning, learn from those 30% and to extrapolate it, to be able to project it onto what 100% of the world looks like. And um, generally, um, it's uh, in terms of in terms of how the industry uh, operated. Every single trader, every single broker, everyone uh, they used to build their own view of the world only for the for the sort of for the part that they're interested in specifically. So if they're trading, for example, some some crude that goes from port A to port B. They would be building the the visibility around that in-house. Yes. But what's missing is the global picture of the world. Because if you have the local visibility, uh, the global picture of the world can can hugely affect it. And that's where we step in. We create that global visibility in real time. On our system, one could could log in and literally in real time um, sort of... uh, see what the data from 670,000 different vessels around the world and what 173 billion data points from those vessels tell us uh, about you know what the oil movement, what the energy movement was in the past and how it's going to look like in the future. And when I say energy movement, by the way, I'm quite, quite purposeful here. It's not only oil and gas, uh, it's also more modern, uh, more modern, um, uh, energy uh, carriers like like hydrogen, for example, and we also look at the world both at micro level, at the macro level as well. So micro level is what's on board of a certain tanker and when it's going to arrive there. Macro level is what are the inflows of a certain grade of of uh, oil into a particular port uh, within a particular time frame. So that's what we do at Vertex. And the exciting thing here is the level of technology, the the, the cutting edge technology, the 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 uh, cutting edge of of applying machine learning side of things and creating this human machine hybrid model is absolutely unprecedented. I'm absolutely loving it. Brilliant, love it. I want to buy it myself. I want to use it myself, and I'm not even a trader. 
<laughs> one day, one day, one day, maybe. Definitely do that. Yeah, this is great. I, lo- I love how this is kind of solved the problem, and also, um, you know, real respect to the kind of founder of seeing this. I can just imagine him sat at a table doing his trading, and then banging the table, going, "Damn it, there's not enough data. I'm off." You know, and then yeah. uh, setting up the company. Um, so well, well done to him, and uh, uh, it sounds yeah. like a very uh, good niche to be in as well. So yeah. coming on to kind of. Um, your transition from uh, becoming a technical leader, we've kind of touched on this to kind of like more yeah. uh, leading technology. Um, I mean, in terms of business challenges and people challenges, um, what, what was that transition like going from technical? Because technical is easy. It's kind of quite defined. It's quite logical, generally speaking. Um, and then kind of moving over to people, which are hugely complex, random yeah. creatures. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Um you see, this is the thing. I, I would not necessarily say that doing technical is easier than, than working with people. It's very different. It's very different types of problems, right? Um, and both are challenging because with technical, the devil is always in details. Um, one of the very well-known facts out there is none of the engineers are able to estimate accurately enough, right? There's always a certain level in accuracy. And that's not because engineers... Uh, are bad. No, it's because mm-hmm. the, the complexity of technical problems that they need to be estimating, they genuinely, generally just don't know. It, mm-hmm. There's no frame of reference. Every time an engineer does a job, they are creating something brand new, you know, yeah. and that's super exciting. With people, for me, the excitement is different. Um, with people and with forming the teams, with forming high-performing teams, right? Um, the cool thing uh, uh, to me is um, uh, so working myself to redundancy. It's one of the things, one of my fundamental principles uh, with regards to how I work, right? And and I've been brought up, thanks to my mentors, in this way where I'm a company director first and I'm a technical leader second. Um, and that's a, that's a transformation. That's a sort of path from when you're an engineer, you solve your technical problem, you absolutely love it. When you become a team lead, and I became a team lead, uh, as I mentioned, at, at Message Labs back in the days, um, you start to realize that there's more than technical problems out there. You start to mm-hmm. realize that there's, there's these fuzzy things, fuzzy creatures called people, and <laughs> and... If in code, you know, at the very simplest level, if in code you say for i equals zero, i less than 10, i plus plus, you know, then that that loop is going to execute um, 10 times, right? With people, you say the same thing to 10 different people, you're going to get 10 different reactions. You're going to get 10 different uh, responses. And that's exciting. That's amazing because... Uh, every human is unique in their own right. Every human brings something to the table, some different perspective, some something new. And mm. uh, uh, that that also defined how when I stopped being a team lead and started running, um, you know, bigger departments where the team leads were already reporting to me, um, that defined one of the fundamental principles of how I run the departments. Um, are people that are definitely, most definitely better than me in one specific aspect, you know, and help them do their job well. You know, that's, that's a fundamental overarching principle 
uh, of my management style and something that I thoroughly enjoy. I still get involved on the technical side of things. Don't take me wrong. Yes. But, uh, but uh, this is th- this bit actually seeing a disjoint set of people coming together, delivering as a team, helping each other, building that that trust foundation on top of which accountability rests, right? Mm-hmm. On top of which results rest. Uh, that is an amazing, super exciting, and hugely rewarding experience. I love that. I can see, I can feel the passion, uh, I, and, I, and I love that. You know, this is the kind of leaders that we need. Because not only are you interested in the technical, but you're also interested in the people. Um, uh, I, I mean, do you ever get moments, actually, I was kind of smirking to myself then, you know, do you ever get moments when you do hire somebody that's much better than you go, damn it, you're good, I hate you, you know, kind of thing. I'm only joking, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> do I have those moments? Uh, I do have my moments of envy. Yeah. Right? yeah. I do have my moments of, oh, I wish I knew this topic as well as that person is, yeah. uh, as well as that person does, right? But at the same time, I'm also proud of that person and I'm proud of the contribution that person makes to the team because, oh my God, I would never have thought about that. That that is so cool. The team is doing so much better. The company, as a result, is doing so much better because I hired that person uh, in that way. You know, it's, it's. Brilliant. Quite exciting. But yes, I definitely have the envy from the old days, right? I used to be good in C, right? I yes. used to, don't tell anyone, TC, but I used to write a lot of Perl, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, and it was good. It was good. But uh, now, you know, obviously, I can't write as good a code as, as, as any single person in my team uh, can, but. I thoroughly enjoy seeing them getting together and solving the most difficult problems in this world at Vertex. Brilliant. I love it. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, it's good. It's a good kind of envy. It's kind of a respectful type of envy, isn't it? You know, um, and, 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 and talking about the uh, coding, uh, we'll keep that between ourselves. Okay. Uh, um, but, but I used to be a C++ programmer as well many years ago before I kind of uh, uh, de-geeked. Uh, I always kind of refer to de-geeking, um, but I do, yeah. I do miss those days. You know, it's, uh, it's yeah. good stuff. So, so in terms of um, getting the most out of your teams, you t- there's a real passion around getting the most out of your teams. Um, and, and, you know, speaking to the uh, the huge fat rhinoceros or elephant in the room, COVID-19, I mean, how has that impacted you? Is it, is it, I can imagine you're, you love being in front of people and being with people and the remoteness has kind of changed the game. So, so believe it or not, TC, but deep down, I'm an introvert. <clears throat> wow. Right. Deep down, I get most energy from from the world in my head with regards to people uh, because so, 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 so there's a causal effect there. Right. Because I enjoyed uh, the people problem so much, I've learned to be around people. And it was very conscious, TC. It was very conscious. Uh, I still do need my introverted times. I still need my time when I sort of disconnect uh, from the external sort of borderers, right? From the external uh, sort of irritants, right? right. And when yeah. I say irritant, I mean I mean your Slack, your email, your yeah. mobile phone, your whatever, whatever it is that's modern technology. And, and I get to process a lot of information and gain a lot of insights from a lot of external inputs that I get. But at the same time, when I am around my team, I get so much energy from 
and, and, and that energy actually fuels my transition into extrovertness. You know, if you look at any task, you could see that, you know, by definition, I'm an introvert. But during my work, you know, I shift a lot to the extroverted side of things. And that's a consequence of enjoying solving uh, the, the, the bigger problems, the problems that cannot be solved just at a technical level. That's the yes. thing. I guess, I guess that's the best way to, to, to word it. There are problems that can be solved just on a technical level, but there are bigger problems that you can only solve holistically. Well, you, when you look at the technology strategy, when you look at your team and people, when you look at your organizational structure, when you look at your product strategy and product roadmap, and when, when you look at the company uh, commercial performance uh, figures, right? Um, and I like solving big problems. Uh, and, and if you like that, and you, if you're just in it on the technical side of things, I would urge you to try uh, to, to, to try the dark side, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, from your perspective, from the perspective of a techie, you know, going into management is like turning to the dark side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I would encourage that if you genuinely are passionate about solving difficult problems, you are not going to find more difficult and more interesting, more challenging, more rewarding problems than solving whole company problems. Yeah, I love that. I love the kind of uh, Star Wars analogy there. I, I, I speak around the kind of Jedi, you know, using the Force and uh, and does. Yeah. But but this is this is interesting thing, you know, making that transition. Um, you know, not all technical people are good at kind of people. Uh, people yeah. leadership or, or have no interest in it as well. You know, it's not there. That's it's not it. There. Yeah. But, but I think, but I think, TC, let me, let me jump in there for a second. I think the two are intricately linked. You're not going to be good at something that you are not interested in. I mean, yeah. you can, but it's going to be such a pain in your life. Right. Yeah. Uh, genuinely. Uh, and, and, and I, I would thoroughly suggest uh, try something out. Don't be afraid to try it out and then see how much it interests you. If it does interest you, you will become good at it yes. because you will put an effort to doing that. You know? yes. And in terms of leading the teams remotely, I just remembered your, your, your earlier question. I've been fortunate to have run hugely distributed teams way before, way before COVID was even a thing. Uh, so back in 2000, I'm trying to remember, 2012, I would say, um, I was a part of uh, establishing a global research and analysis team at Kaspersky Lab. And that team by design is hugely distributed. That team is distributed between sort of 30 different countries. And prior to that, I had experience of running teams distributed between two, three countries, right? After that, two, three countries is just about right. But the, 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 the sheer number of having sort of 30 different countries and having people present in those countries sort of focuses your mind and makes you think about solving the difficult problem of how to keep this set of people as a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, as a unit, as a team, yeah. rather than just as a group of people. And that's very interesting challenge in its own right. Although I must admit I must admit one thing I have not figured out, which is where the COVID-19 is particularly difficult, is how to do that with, with, without at least occasionally getting together in person. When mm -hmm. I say occasionally, the frequency can be 
you know, once a week to once a quarter. For example, at Kaspersky Lab back in the days, once a quarter was just about right. We got together as a whole group of people for about a week, once a quarter. And that was amazing. That was so energy generating. That was that that promoted really cool, really interesting conversations that all these people who are, again, generally introverts, believe it or not, deceit, techies are usually introverts, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so, so those those people would take all those fantastic ideas, would get energized from exploring really interesting to them topics, take them away into their own countries, dive deep into those things, and produce amazing results. Right? right. There are, of course, certain adjustments, certain practical adjustments that one needs to make. You know, shift the working hours. Uh, think about you know when how you're going to run the team meetings. Think about your communications, uh, running your communications online. Uh, being very conscious about not overloading your days with meetings, not not overloading your day with eight hours in front of Zoom calls, right? I mean, yeah. at, the, at the time there was no Zoom, but there was Skype for business and, and a few other tools, right? Yeah. Uh, but it is possible. Moreover, I truly honestly believe that this is the future. Distributed way of working is the future. Any company that ever wants to attract the best talent will have to learn to work in a distributed manner because the competition for talent today is global. Yes, I totally agree. In fact, um, I was thinking about this the other day because I was thinking I don't need to be sat in uh, wet old UK. I could be sat in the Maldives uh, doing my work, you know, depending on who I mean. There you go. There you go. Uh, Quite a few of my people do. <laughs> Quite cool. a few. I mean, one of my team leads right now is in Dubai, you know, and he's contributed fantastically, and he's uh, he's working with his team um, uh, really, really efficiently, and his team is also split between, well, two time zones, right? Two two hugely different time zones, not counting the Dubai as a third time zone. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, and in terms of your teams, then, I mean, uh, we kind of talk. We talked about this uh, off off mic uh, around kind of uh, outsourcing external mm-hmm. teams, uh, you know, external teams in the sense that they're not directly uh, employed by your company. I mean, what's your kind of thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So it it really depends on what problem you're trying to solve, right? Um, and, and I know it's quite kind of sort of generic answer that doesn't give you any meat on the bone, but let me try to put some, uh, to, to, to put some uh, meat on the bone. So, if you're creating, if 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 I'm in the company where I need to create intellectual property or develop intellectual property, I would never ever consider outsourcing or or, or, or employing contractors for that. I'm a true believer that the intellectual property needs to be created in-house. Where contracting and outsourcing are good are two two types of things, and I. In advance, I do apologize to any contractors or outsourcers that are listening, uh, listening to this because I'm gonna I'm gonna say quite cruel things, but but things that are very practical and based on on my network of other CTOs. I know I'm not the only one thinking that way. So number one, number one, if there's a piece of work that really needs to be done, but that piece of and that piece of work is well described, well understood, but it's just mundane. And it's it's you know it's it's boring, uh, and you dread the thought of asking your guys to do that piece of work. You understand it's important, but you just dread asking your guys to do it because you want your guys to to sort of be autonomous, to 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 be able to express their mastery, um, and 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 have a very clear sort of uh, uh, vision of how they're contributing to the company. 
So that's where outsourcing may be a really, really good option. You know, yeah. uh, just, just, just ask the guys, those guys, the outsourcers and contractors usually are paid a premium uh, to be able to deal with, with the things that, um, uh, that are difficult to persuade your team to be enthusiastic about. Yeah. Right? Agreed. That's one. Uh, the other one is legacy, legacy kinds of projects, right? Sometimes it's no secret. Some of the companies, some companies at a later stage of their development, uh, they're trying to pivot. They're trying to sort of get into the new thing using all the experience, all the knowledge that they accumulated over the years on their legacy products. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to turn it into something new, something groundbreaking, something disruptive, right? Um, and for that, they need, they need people. Now, the best thing to do in that case is to put their best people that are already working for the company on this new project and drive it forward. But somebody needs to look after the legacy side of things. Yeah. And that's where contractors and outsourcers come in and they can be really sort of helpful, really sort of uh, amazing at doing that. Uh, there are certain caveats one needs to think about. Um, for example, quite often it is important to be very explicit about your expectations in these kind of relationships, because you don't have that longitude. You don't get that sort of one, two, three, four, five years of uh, employee in your company to be able to make micro adjustments. You know, with contractors, with outsourcers, mm. you need to be as explicit as, as you can be. And as any engineer will tell you, the devil is always in the details. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And um, and thank you for your honesty there, because I, mean, I used to be a contractor myself and I saw the po positives and the negatives around contractors. They're, um, they're not, I mean, again, apologies to some of the contractors out there, but not all contractors are as committed uh, as they could be, you know. Uh, they're in it for the for the time, the money, and then they're off. Um, so I, I love your kind of perception, uh, sorry, your opinion on, you know, keeping IP within the company, because it's important. I mean, it's valuable stuff. It's like, it literally is the gold of the organization. Yeah. Um, so, so in terms of uh, engineering challenges um, that you've come across, I mean, what are the gaps that you've seen in development capabilities? Are there any kind of tools that you see around the engineering in general that you'd like to see closed? Well, if you, if you ask that question, anyone, any CTO, any CTO in London in particular, but I think I, I would comfortably expand it to any CTO in the world, uh, uh, they will tell you that, you know, product strategy can be adjusted, technology strategy can be amended, uh, business strategy can be pivoted. What's really difficult is finding the right people for your organization, right? Getting the people that um, truly fit or, or add value within the organization. I'm not talking your technical, I'm not talking your, you know, thousands of lines of code. No, I'm talking about the spirit. I'm talking about the, the drive talking about enthusiasm, right? Um, uh, getting, finding those people and, and uh, getting those people aligned um, is definitely, definitely one of the biggest and most interesting, mind you, challenges yeah. um, uh, in engineering. In terms of other capabilities, I mean, let me think. Um, hmm. Um, no, I, th I would say I would say that's by far the biggest headache for a CTO. Uh, now, in terms of in terms of on the other side, um, so CTO obviously always acts as a bridge between 
the board, the executive uh, sort of uh, team in the company, and the technical side of the company, right? Mm. So one of the solvable challenges, but still challenges nevertheless, that I come uh, come across quite often, and uh, and I see quite a lot of um, um, companies really struggling with and asking for a lot of advice for, is how to structure your technical organization and your product organization for that sake to be aligned with creating the business value that that the company expects so maxim i'm, I'm kind of curious around um, kind of organizational structure and the kind of challenges that that brings because you know as organizations get bigger they grow um, there's a whole kind of level of complexity there oh uh, that's that's a really really interesting question especially in the context of uh, my last couple of years at vertexa um, as I grew uh, in my career, there's a lot of uh, empirical laws, empirical sort of trial and error kind of uh, patterns that I saw emerging, right? One of those patterns was around how to organize uh, organize the teams. And my big thing is organizing the teams around ownership and around owning um a particular business deliverable, business value add, right? right? And and I've done that subconsciously without being able to formulate it. But only only two years ago, and my career has been, what, 23, 25 years, something like that now. Um, but only two years ago have I learned that that way of organizing the companies has a name. And it's apparently called inverse Conway maneuver law. Right. <laughs> Basically, what it says is you've got to align your technical organization and product organization. You've got to align it with the business value add creation streams. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the most concise way that I've heard this being expressed, because when before I knew this expression, when somebody tried to ask me, well, Maxim, you know, your team seem to work so well. You know, how do you how do you build them? How do you organize them? Why do they work so well? And I went into the long-winded answer of, oh, they need to have ownership and they need to do this and that and the other. Apparently, TC, for any techie out there, look up uh, inverse uh, Conway maneuver law, you know, and you'll know everything you need about the the uh, how to organize uh, uh, the, the, the technical teams in particular, or product teams for that sake. Works amazingly. And the basic fundamental principle there, hugely against functional grouping. So I never have data science team. I never have engineering team. I never have quality assurance team. No, uh, I'm hugely for forming the teams around delivering the business value. For example, I could have the 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 uh, Vortex application team, mm. or I could have the Vortex API team, or I could have the, um, in our case, for example, we have predictions and market modeling team, right? Which delivers a clear business benefit, benefit and is formed of multiple different uh, skills, people with multiple different skill sets, right? Uh, not just your data science, not just your engineering, no, complementary skill sets that by the end own and deliver specific business value. That works amazing. 
Brilliant. It's like a cross-functional, cross-functional teams again, you know, really getting people to merge their, their skills and get them overlapping, you know? I love that. Absolutely. And helping each other with that, helping each other from different perspectives, you know, from... Um, so um, Matthew Syed, for example, recently published a book, Rebel Ideas, and he talks about the importance of diversity, right? So I'm finding it's not only the diversity in terms of your background, but it's also a diversity in terms of your skills, that adds huge value to how the team approaches solving different um, different problems. So, Maxim, I've got a question for you. Right, being an avid book reader, as you can see behind me, I've got I've got the great library, you know, and in front of me and to the side. Um, what's a book that you recommend tech leaders out there? What's the book that you would give? Oh, there's so many really good books, but I'm not just gonna gonna uh, bore you or use all the time. Uh, just listing them. If I were to pick one book, one book for, um, especially for somebody who's more on the techie side of things and wants to explore what it might look like being being sort of on the leadership side of things uh, and uh, sort of taking your team forward, I would definitely recommend the book by Daniel Pink called Drive. Yes, great Now, book. I'm a big fan of Daniel Pink, right? Big, big fan. I've read all of his books. Uh, you can start even with his TED talk on the same topic. Um, and Drive talks about the, the three things that motivate any creative, and believe it or not, engineers, product people, uh, most people, most careers in the modern digital world are creative careers. So what motivates creatives <clears throat> to do the best they can, right? Um, that book, again, you know, you develop as a leader, you develop throughout your career a lot of empirical laws, a lot of empirical observations of what works, what doesn't. And that book, Drive, not only does it put a scientific foundation behind all that, right, but it also expands your horizons, structures your understanding of what drives people, what motivates people, and it enables you to build really impressive, really amazing teams that genuinely want to sort of break through the barriers and, uh, and do great things. So uh, the book talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Autonomy is about being able to choose the task, the time, the team, um, uh, the, the, how you work, right? Um, uh, mastery is about the ability to express your your capabilities to show your skill to demonstrate how good you are at doing something and purpose is about being aligned behind one big goal one big hairy audacious goal right b-h-a-g as it's called um, <laughs> and 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 get on with it and you know when you get those three things right together something magical happens every single time every single time and it's so transformative to observe it every single time that the, the group of people turns from being a group of people that was just brought together into this cohesive unit that doesn't need anyone or anything that just drives forward and delivers amazing results. That's what drive can do for you. And if you, the tech, the future tech leader, read drive today, it'll give you such a huge head start. Brilliant. Such a huge head start. 
Yeah, I love it. And uh, I, I totally recommend it. I'd second that that book. It's what is one of my gate what I call gateway books. It kind of made a, a huge difference to my thinking. So um as we come to a close, I just want to give you the opportunity to um uh, give a key takeaway to uh, the kind of tech leaders, the men and women out there in a similar position to yourself. What would be your kind of gem that you'd like to offer them? Mm. Don't be afraid of feeling redundant. Okay? That's one big advice I would give anyone who's turning to the leadership side, who's, who's, who's getting onto the path of leadership. When you feel that you are becoming redundant, that's that you, you've got to learn to love it. Because that feeling only comes from the fact that you built such an amazing team or a set of teams, such an amazing set of processes, such an amazing set of products, right? Amazing strategy, technology, et cetera, et cetera, strategy. Um, that, that your input is no longer needed. You can rely on the rest of the guys to do the right thing without having to think twice about it. So don't be afraid of starting to feel redundant. Redundancy, uh, feeling redundant, feeling not needed in certain conversations is a good thing. That means you are doing a great job. Uh, look out for that feeling. Uh, sort of purposefully seek that feeling, you know? Yeah. Uh, and when you come across it, enjoy. Brilliant. That's a brilliant bit of advice and resonates with me fully. So thank you for your time, Maxim. It's been great having you on board. Loads and loads of gems uh, of wisdom there. Uh, and I'm looking forward to listening to that podcast. And hopefully the audience have got some great um, wisdom from yourself. And uh, thank you for your time, sir. Thank you so much, TC. It's been a pleasure to speak to you and it's been an honor to be on this podcast. Thank you. Well, it was great speaking to Maxim. It was interesting to talk to him about his initial lack of desire to become a tech leader, let alone a CTO. But now that he's in it, I think he's enjoyed the journey and made a great success of it. He's actually come to love and appreciate the role. And I could see that in his voice and in his, his passion. I think it's a great inspiration for all of us to try things that initially we don't think we like or want. So the key takeaways from the podcast were as follows. From a personal journey perspective, take small uncomfortable steps in new directions and see the new realisations emerge from that action. Be inspired by Maxim's story. Be adventurous in your career choices. Face your fears, take some risks and do some things you don't like. My second key takeaway is how data and machine learning is disrupting the energy markets. Or would you call it disruption? I think it's more a case of enhancing it and, and providing a great service, helping those traders and the industry as a whole manage itself better. Thirdly and finally, as a leader, don't be scared to become redundant. When your teams need you less, a good way to look at this, a good lens to look through, is that you're succeeding immensely in your leadership. This reminds me of a quote from Nanny McPhee, when you need me but don't want me, I will stay. But when you want me but no longer need me, I will go thus reflecting the importance of attachment and detachment of leadership, allowing teams and people to grow and get on with their work with a sense of responsibility. I think there's a really strong lesson for many leaders out there around this. Employ people who are better than you, grow them, make your life easier and help the organisation grow as well. So thank you again, Maxim. I look forward to seeing how the Vortex platform evolves and how your leadership goes from strength to strength. And finally, 
Remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.